Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Wednesday morning. We have all your NBA offseason action right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Andrew Schlecht and I'm joined by Sam Vecini. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash daily ding. You can receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. Sports are back and you don't want to miss breaking news stories on your favorite team. So go to theathletic.com slash daily ding to receive an all-access subscription for just $1 a month. Coming up on today's show, we have an NBA draft preview. Sam, how's it going? I'm going well, but I got to tell you, I just got, we're looking at each other on video and I just got real self-conscious because Andrew has an incredible tan going right now. And I look like I have not left a dungeon in probably four weeks because frankly, like I barely have because I've been in quarantine in Australia for two weeks where I literally couldn't leave the room. So yeah, I'm feeling uh, feeling a little bit like I need to get out and get some sun uh, looking at Andrew right now. Uh, we might be swapping. I'm in OKC right now and I'm literally in the middle of an ice storm. So I might, <laughs> this is going away pretty quick. Uh, so let's start with the top of this draft. You have a LaMelo ball sitting at number one. Uh, tell me a little bit about LaMelo. Give us kind of the bird's eye view of LaMelo Ball and what kind of player he is. Yeah, very different player from Lonzo, which I think is where a lot of people start uh, just because of they're inextricably linked as brothers and due to the style of play that they maintain throughout the early part of their career. Uh, LaMelo to me is an elite level passer, playmaker, creator, uh, decision maker as well as a passer. Uh, the decision making falls apart a little bit off uh, as a shooter and some of the shot IQ that he has, uh, his decisions can be a little bit rougher there, but really, really good passer, keeps the ball on a string, great change of direction, great uh, change of pace, really just knows how to read defenders and get separation in a really uh, tremendous way, a lot in the same way as Trey Young in the way that he does it. He's probably a little bit slower in and out of his moves than Trey Young, but uh, very similar in that they're not these wild lightning quick athletes they just are incredible ball handlers who know how to get separation uh then any live dribble pass that lamello ball uh is presented he has elite level vision and has the ability to execute that pass little pocket passes to rollers perfect touch on lobs cross corner kickouts uh no look dump offs to you know guys in the dunker spot it's he's got all of that in his toolbox the big keys here are what do you do with the jump shot? Because it is kind of all over the place. I don't think it's quite as bad as what the percentages indicate, but, and part of that is because of the poor shot uh, quality that he ends up taking because of the shot selection issue, but it's not great yet. He has uh, some mechanical issues to work through. I personally think that in part it's because he's grown something like uh, eight inches over the course of the last two and a half years. So he's still adjusting to his body. His frame hasn't totally filled out in the same way that we've seen Lonzo's fill out over the course of his uh, NBA career. So I think that as LaMelo continues 
to get older. The shot will continue to get better. He has some real natural touch. And then defensively, he was just a total mess this year in Australia in terms of effort. There were real times where you would see him make very uh, high-level rotational reads and be in the right place and really make some high-level defensive plays, but uh, they were too few and far between because he just wasn't nearly engaged enough off the ball. So if let's let's say Lamella was in last year's draft, let's just want I just want to get a gauge for where this draft is. Uh, where would he have gone in last year's draft? I think he probably would have gone four behind R.J. Barrett. Okay. I think that there was a real level of certainty behind Barrett just because he was the number one player in his high school class over the course of, I mean, honestly, like four years, mm-hmm. uh, three or four years at the very least coming out of Canada. So I would say somewhere around four. I don't think that he goes below DeAndre Hunter, although like could Atlanta have moved up for Hunter and taken him ahead of Lamelo, sure, but I think he's a tier ahead of DeAndre Hunter. Uh, I think he's ahead of Darius Garland, uh, ahead of Jarrett Culver for me personally. So mm-hmm. I-, I would say four. This is not a crazy strong draft at the top. I do have Lamelo clearly at one, but e- even in last year's draft, I think that there were very clearly better prospects. If you go back to 2018, I would say that LaMelo probably is somewhere around six. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and if you go back to 2017, I had uh, Fulton Tatum one and two. Mm-hmm. Lonzo gets tricky. They're different players because Lonzo is a bit more of like a secondary playmaker yeah. in the half court, elite level decision maker in the full court. I think that Lonzo probably would have gone ahead of LaMelo because there was more uncertainty, but I personally think that the role that LaMelo could play if he hits with the jumper uh, is much more worth gambling on than Lonzo. So yeah. I would personally have him ahead of Lonzo, but uh, I, I would bet you that NBA teams would have thought differently. Yeah. So... I mean, you say it's not that strong, but it is encouraging to see that he's at least going in like the top three, four, five, <laughs> or sure. he would have gone in those drafts because he does have a higher ceiling than a lot of these other guys. And you look further down the draft. I mean, you get, I mean, you get all the way through the first round, and I think you can see a lot of potential role players in this draft, yeah. which is exciting for if you already have a good team or if you already have a star on your team. There are guys to fill in gaps here, but if you're at the top, if you're the Hornets, or if you're the Bulls or the Cavs, uh, this is not as exciting of a draft as as past years. Uh, who who else has a chance to go one? So you've got Lamelo at the top. Who else would you project that could possibly pick be picked number one? Yeah, I would say Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman are in that conversation. There are a couple of teams where. Uh, you hear different names uh, within that top tier. Uh, there are a couple teams that just don't like Anthony Edwards or don't like James Wiseman, yeah. right? Uh, or don't like LaMelo Ball and don't want to deal with the circus that assuredly will come uh, once you select a LaMelo Ball. But if I was tiering the draft, and I will within the big project that I'm working on right now, uh, 
I, I would say the top tier that I feel most comfortable with is LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and James Wiseman. Denny Avdia is probably the next closest guy there for teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have Denny right around seven or eight, so I'm a little bit lower. I have guys like Onyeka Kongwu and Isaac Okoro ahead of him. Yep. But teams, I would say in general, uh, tend to have a higher opinion of Denny. And I would be a bit surprised if Denny got out of the top five at this stage. Okay. Well, how do you feel about Denny's shooting? Because he kind of projects as a kind of a fake shooter almost, a guy that you think that should yeah. be able to shoot it, but he just hasn't. Yeah, the free throw percentages have always been very concerning, right in the 50% to 60% range. Uh, the three-point shot has been very, very streaky throughout the course of his career. Uh, you know, Had a really great run to start the uh, restart of the Israeli league that he was playing in, but uh, did not have like a crazy amount of success this year playing in Euro league either, which is a much higher level than the Israeli league. Uh, You know, it gets, it gets tricky trying to evaluate that shot mechanically. He's done good work. He gets good arc on it. I think he has a bit too much offhand interaction in the shot from what I've seen. Mm. Uh, It's a bit too compact. I think that it's going to work better out of spot ups versus out of movement right now. But he brings a lot of other stuff to the table, too. Like he's an elite level passer for a guy that's six foot nine, maybe not on the level of like a Luka Doncic or anything or a LeBron. But, uh, you know, this this is not like Danilo Gallinari either. Like he is a really, really high level passer and playmaker out of that, you know, combo forward role. Uh, He's a really good athlete. Like, I think that that goes underrated with him because, frankly, like white guys tend to get underrated as athletes. Right. He is a very fluid athlete who can really run up and down the floor. And uh, he's a good defender. Uh, He's at least smart rotationally defensively and uh, he doesn't get blown by defensively. So uh, I I don't know that I'd call him an impact defender at the NBA level, but I think that, you know, you're going to be able to have a solid defense around any idea, but the jumper for me is the concern and it's why I have him a little bit lower than, you know, some of these other guys in this class. Yeah. Do you think the the link to the Warriors is a real thing? <laughs> I think that they're interested yeah. for sure. Uh, you know, I think that the Warriors are throwing smoke screens out there. I tweeted <laughs> yesterday that they've been connected with something like 10 prospects because, uh, you know, the, market appetite for the Warriors and reporting on the Warriors is so voracious. Like there are so many reporters in that area that, you know, it's just always, it's always on, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone's trying to beat one another for reporting and insight on what that front office is thinking and and what the uh, roster is thinking and what the players are thinking. So uh, what the coaching staff is thinking, it's, you know, and it's a locker room and front office that can tend to be a bit more talkative than yep. others. So mm-hmm. I think the Warriors have played this process well because they've played into that kind of, you know, thought process, right? They've played into what their market is. They've played into that and just thrown a bunch of shit at the wall and hope that it sticks at the end of the day. Yeah. Hope that, you know, <laughs> some people get thrown off the scent. Right. Uh, okay, I'm going to give you two players. I need you to pick one. Pick your favorite out of uh, oh, these this groups will be of fun. players. So, Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton. 
I go back and forth. I, know, that's I a do great too. One. Uh, team, it, it all depends on the team. If I'm a team that needs a legit lead guard mm-hmm. and someone that could potentially be my true point guard, guy that can be a lead initiator, I would take Killian Hayes. Okay. If I'm a team that has a true initiator, like if I'm the Atlanta Hawks, I would rather have Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah. If I'm, uh, you know, I'm trying to think. If I'm Cleveland, I'd probably rather have Tyrese, Tyrese Halliburton. Mm-hmm. What about in a vacuum? Who do you take? Hmm. Probably Halliburton because if it works, or if anything doesn't work with either of those two, I still feel confident that Halliburton's going to be a very high level off ball player. Yeah. If Hayes doesn't translate to being an on ball point guard in terms of getting separation, in terms of ironing out the jump shot, I have more concerns about Hayes yeah. uh, in his role in the NBA going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Obi Toppin and Yeka Akongwu. Pick one. Literally just moved them back and forth on my board <laughs> yesterday. Uh, this is gross, Andrew. Um, yeah, I would take Onyeka now. I, I've been on the Obi Toppin hype train for a while, and I, I would still take him, you know, somewhere five, six, seven yeah. for sure. And, and I really like him as a player. But the more I watch Onyeka, uh, the more I think he is just such a high level defender uh, and is going to really find a role to make an impact in NBA level in a really safe way. Uh, Obi Toppin's defense, just the more I've gone through the tape, the more it worries me. He didn't kill Dayton's defense this year by any stretch, yeah. but he, he was bad at things that specifically concern me uh, in an NBA construct. Yeah. I worry about Toppin. If he's not a star, then I really worry about him. Because he's a guy yeah. that you have to pull off the court. I, I will say, like, in terms of personality, he's going to be okay with not being a star. Okay. Like, I think that he prefers it. And, like, a big part of why he picked Dayton, uh, I've read, is, like, they met him at the plane and they were just so excited to, like, see him, yeah. right, <laughs> uh, coming out of prep school. Like, yeah. they treated him like he was amazing from the jump. And he really appreciated that. But everything about him, he was an unbelievable teammate this year. Like he's he he's going to translate into being a role player from an off court and locker room perspective really well, which sometimes doesn't always happen with guys that have that national player of the year pedigree. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I mean the the defense is concerning. He's really going to have to figure out how to how to make that work in the construct of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one. Isaac Okoro and Devin Vassell. I would take Okoro. Uh, okay. I've gone back and forth on this throughout the process, but I feel pretty good about Okoro now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worry a little bit about Vassell shooting off of movement Yeah. Uh, with the jumper. I'm not like the jumper mechanic stuff that we saw come out. I, I'm trying to decide what that means. Like, I, yeah, the problem is that even without that question, I still thought the release was somewhat elongated and mm-hmm. had some concerns in regard to uh, shooting off of movement at the end of the day. Isaac Okoro really struggles to shoot, but that dude can do literally everything else right. on a basketball floor. Yeah. And he is a proven winner. Uh, his team won the state national championship. He was a part of a uh, gold medal team with Team USA. His team at Auburn this year, you know, if 
he doesn't miss three games in SEC play, uh, I believe they would have tied Kentucky for the SEC title, despite having a talent level that was less than Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, they were like 15 points per 100 possessions when he was on the court versus when he was off the court. Uh, they were like even with their opponents when he was off the court. So, yeah. I look at a Coro and then I also think that there's some real upside with his ball handling ability and mm-hmm. his ability to create off the bounce. He's a really underrated passer, uh, really underrated in terms of maneuverability around the hoop. Am I wrong to wonder why people like Anthony Edwards so much better than Isaac Coro? No, I've been starting to think that. I I will say, because I've done the... Um, college coaches poll series on uh-huh. both Okoro and Edwards. It was pretty split when I talked to Interesting. opposing coaches that played both of them. Yeah. I'm not going to, I will probably have Edwards in a tier slightly ahead of Okoro, but I'm going to have Okoro at five or six and Edwards at three. Okay. So uh, I yeah. think it's close. Yeah. I, I am. I'm almost to the point where I, it feels weird to say like, I like Okoro better. Just because everybody has Edwards higher, but like the more that I've yep. watched of those guys, I'm like, I don't know, I just like him better. Like I like the way he complete, the way he competes. I like the way that you can kind of fit him into a lot of teams. And I, I mean, there's just a lot of Dion Waiters in Anthony Edwards yeah. that, and I, I'm personally a big fan of Dion Waiters, but I don't think if I were drafting at two or three that I'd be super excited to get a player like that. Yeah. He's way more athletic than Dion was. Mm-hmm. Like he he just does have that burst and that even physicality. Like Dion wasn't as strong at that age yeah. as Edwards is. Okay. Like he can just kind of make stuff happen. The problem is that Edwards often settles in mm-hmm. the same way that Dion does. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh that's where the comparison I think is real. Uh if Anthony Edwards improves his ball handling and figures out how to use that athleticism. I mean, he's an all-star like no, no question about that, but it's all about feel for the game shot. IQ turning it over uh, and defensively, he's going to have to engage in a real way. Yeah. Um, it, it's a gamble more than what I think people would uh, people would articulate maybe. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Give me a sleeper in the twenties. Who's the guy in the twenties. That's most likely uh to be like an all-star or a high impact player. Ooh, an all-star. Ooh. Like I really like Malachi Flynn. I don't know if Malachi Flynn's going to be an all-star, mm-hmm. but I've been pretty high on Flynn throughout the process. I have him around 22, 23 on my board. If Tyrell Terry lasts until 21, 22. Yeah. Which I think his range is like end of the lottery to 25. Okay. Something like that now. Like I had him at 31 in the last mock and that was a little bit low based off of feedback I've gotten. Okay. Um, I would say his range is like if you heard him at the end of the lottery, I wouldn't be stunned, but he could last into like the early 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh Terry is a guy that has very high upside because he's uh, a super high level competitor. One of the best shooters in the draft. Uh you know, a guy that some teams have convinced themselves of the ball handling being better than I think it is, which okay. is why I have him at like 20 mm-hmm. on my board. Uh, I worry about his live dribble passing and his ball control. But if you believe in that, the 
ceiling is through the roof to quote Michael Jordan. Yeah. Like if you think he can create plays off the bounce, it's, it's pretty real. Um, I don't see like a ton of crazy, like all-star upside in this class, but in the twenties, but I think there are going to be a lot of guys that go 20 to even down to 50. Cause I have like 48 draftable grades in this class, which is not super normal for me. Yeah. Um, this is a very deep class that uh, teams are going to be able to mine for talent late yeah. in the process. Yeah. Even a guy like Isaiah Joe, like I look at him, I'm like, ah, I can see that guy being successful in the NBA and he's probably a second rounder. Yeah. Like I, I have Jaden McDaniels like in the second round right now, uh-huh. but I'm like lower on him than NBA teams are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would guess he goes somewhere 18 to 25. Yeah. Something like that. Um, He's a guy that, like, if it comes together, it's, I mean, he's six foot nine. He can handle the ball. He can shoot. Like, he's just very skinny and doesn't have great feel for the game. And those are the things that really, really worry me whenever it comes yeah. to translating into a role in the NBA. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see where all these guys settle in because there are a lot of players that they're really interesting and really talented and they're just a ways away from where they are going to be developmentally. This is a draft of guys that, you know, seven years ago, we would have said entered the draft a year too early. Mm -hmm. Right. But because we've entered this era of player empowerment, rightfully, in my opinion, these guys entered the draft and are, you know, going to try and get paid to play basketball, which is, you know, fantastic, I think, for uh, a number of reasons. Yep. Most notably, the NCAA is corrupt and full of crooks. Yep. Um, <laughs> but I really think that, you know, we're far away from seeing how this draft is going to go. We're, we're going to see mixed value across the board yeah. in this draft class, in my opinion. Yeah. And the fact that they can't get in with these guys in person before the draft makes it really difficult to see where some of these guys are going to be. You're just left with the tape. And sometimes, I mean, do you find it difficult to just keep going back and back to the tape? Do you think that's, do you think that's more difficult for teams to land on certain players or what do you, how do you think that affects the the scouting process? Good question. Uh, Depends on the front office and how solid its processes are. Yeah. Uh, For me, I have found myself going back and really, you know, digging deep on a lot of these guys over the course of the last little while, just to be able to do it right. And to really use the time to its fullest. And then to be able to talk about these guys at a high level, uh, once it comes down to it, just cause that's my job. Uh, And you find yourself wondering at times, why do you have this guy here? Why do you have this guy there? You really have to remember that like earlier in the process, you probably did a deep dive on these guys and you have to keep it in context. And you probably did more work earlier in the process than what you're doing now uh, in the process. So Hold steady, uh, make sure your processes are sound and uh, make sure that uh, you're not overcorrecting to 
something that is, you know, recency bias in a real sure. way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes like the RJ Hampton stuff like difficult <laughs> because like you get to, you get to see these right. guys and it's, uh, I don't know any, any little clip that we see, it feels like it like almost changes the way that people think about some of these guys, but, uh, well, and, and the Hamptons one, the Hampton one is interesting because like I am in on Hampton if the jumper is real and yeah. it looks like he's done very significant work on the jumper, sure. but if the jumper is not real, I mean, he's like maybe, you know, 10% worse Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. So like it gets very tricky with RJ, particularly in a hurry mm-hmm. on that. Um, I have him at like 10 mm-hmm. right now because man, if he can shoot, he is such a monster athlete yeah. that he's going to be able to get separation and play at a high level in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But man, and shot creators are so important. Yeah. They're so, so important. And yep. he has, you know, length extension, finishing ability. He can leap off of one foot. Like he, he's got all of the little tools and it's, Man, is it hard? Our yes. RJ is the one that in the like I'm struggling to contextualize within like Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. all those guys. Like I, I'm really struggling to figure out how to you know kind of place those guys. Yeah, yeah that that group is difficult because their strengths are so different. And right. Yeah. If really, if just like one of those guys shows in the NBA, like, especially if, if Hayes can create separation or if, if Halliburton can just be like a 44% three point shooter, I mean, something like that. I mean, if it could, it could separate them, but you just don't know which one is going to pop, which is the, right. That's the tough, the tough thing. That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. We still have your favorite shows like the Athletic NBA show, No Dunks, Tampering, and House of Strauss plus over a dozen team-specific shows available from your favorite athletic beat writers and also my show, Down to Dunk. So don't forget to follow on the app and get notifications for new episodes and utilize the podcast episode comment section. And if you're not a member of The Athletic, you're in luck. You can get all of your podcasts ad-free, plus some fantastic writing across all major sports, all for a super low price. Get a subscription today at theathletic.com slash daily ding. This promo actually ends this week, so make sure that you get there soon. Thanks for waking up with us this morning. Sam, we ask all of our guests to say ding, ding. Uh, So go ahead and say ding, ding. Ding, ding.